the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. All right, Craig, thank you. It is uh, Friday, December 8th, 2023. I'm Dave Congleton. In about an hour, let's uh, get reaction to uh, Congressman McCarthy's decision to resign. We are with you weekday afternoons from 3.05 to 7 o'clock right here on KVEC. I'm Dave Congleton. Now, I'm going to admit that I am a fish out of water when it comes to this next subject, but Having gone through this book, I ended up being totally fascinated by it because I don't know anything about abalone. I certainly don't know anything about abalone diving. And I certainly did not know the rich history of those who came before us from China and Japan and from the Midwest. They came out. And the result is a fascinating book called Abalone Diving on the California Coast, available however you get books, co-authored by Stephen Rebuck, Christopher Rebuck, and Tim Thomas. Stephen and Tim are with us. We all know Steve. He grew up in the abalone fishery, served as the abalone technical consultant to the Southern Sea Otter Recovery Team from 1993 to 2004. Steve, good to see you. Thank you, David. Thanks for coming in, and congratulations on the book. Well, I appreciate that. And we're also joined by Tim Thomas. Uh, Tim is the former historian and curator of the Monterey Maritime Museum. Tim, good to have you with us as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, Steve, let me start with you. How did this project come together? What's the genesis of this project? Well, uh, Abalone is a lifelong endeavor I grew up in the business. The day I was born, my dad went commercial abalone fishing at Santa Catalina. So I've been involved with this my entire life. And to introduce my friend Tim, he's kind of my equivalent in Monterey. He's fourth generation Monterey. All right, so Tim, how did you and Steve decide to put a book together? Well, actually, Steve approached me about it. Uh, about doing it. I'd written another book about Poplar and Stolter, Abalone King, and I've been researching the abalone fisheries in Monterey for probably 20 years now, so I guess that's how we got together. And when Steve pitched the idea to you, what did you think? What was your reaction? I thought it was a great idea. I mean, I've done a couple, a couple other of those Arcadia books, and, and I know you can get a lot of good stuff in those things, and so I thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I want to hear more about the production a little bit later on, but Steve, what did you bring today? We have a little show oh, and tell. I, yeah, I brought some shells. I'll hold them up for your audience yeah. so they can see them. This is about the normal size commercial abalone. This one is between seven and three quarters, eight inches. Eight inches was the size limit up till 1959, followed by seven and three quarters. <laughs> I'm holding in my hand a copy of the book, and right first photo you see, we're going to embarrass Steve here. There's a photo of Steve, age nine. Uh, this is with your sister, Susan. This is taken in Morro Bay. Reading from the book here, uh, Susan, Steve, and a lot of other Morro Bay kids regularly ate abalone. At home, it could be abalone spaghetti, 
Hmm. Or at school, abalone sandwiches. Kids would trade their abalone sandwiches to the Japanese kids for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. A good trade for everybody. That's how you remember it, Steve? Oh, yeah, that's exactly how it was. You know, the fishing kids kind of had an angle because we ate a lot of fish and abalone, and it was like the abalone spaghetti was, oh, Mom, abalone spaghetti again. But that's how it was. Abalone spaghetti. Oh, yes. I'm trying to picture that. Yeah, get your mind around that one. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, what was it like for you? What was your introduction to abalone? Well, as I mentioned, or you mentioned, I was the historian and curator of the Monterey Maritime Museum uh, for many years. And Monterey's Monterey's maritime history is a fishing history. And so I've been researching the history of the fisheries in Monterey for 35 years in particular, the Japanese story for at least 20 years now, and, and that's the abalone story. That's what brought the Japanese to Monterey before the turn of the 20th century was abalone, and uh, they sort of created that whole fishery in California. Yeah, but it, but is your experience, have you ha- were you an abalone connoisseur? Have you died for abalone well, yourself? My, yeah, when I was growing up, sure, we had it. My dad's best friend, my dad was a California Highway Patrol officer, and his partner and good friend was an abalone diver, uh, a, a not commercial diver, but he was, but he was a sport diver. And they used to, yeah, I remember them having abalone barbecues in our backyard as a kid. Hmm. That was pretty common. And also, you used to be able to go to the store, what we used to call the camp store, and you could buy uh, abalone, like almost like a hamburger of abalone that was uh, that you could buy for really cheap. <laughs> Steve, before we get too far along, we should give credit to the third author who's not with us today. Yeah, my son Christopher, he's an IT specialist, so he helped us with scanning and other technical details, getting the pictures in order and scanned. For people who aren't familiar, this is part of the Images of America series where there's a heavy emphasis on photographs. Yes, A lot of photographs here. Yes. Yeah, they require about 200 They'll let you go down to about 150 and 200 plus, but we came in right around 200. Where'd you get all the photos and was it challenging? Well, great, great question. Um, there was a wonderful man from Morro Bay, Glenn Bickford, who started building underwater camera equipment and taking pictures back in the late 30s. He'd moved out here from Iowa as a young man and started fishing and uh, just picked up doing photographs at sea and years ago I acquired some of his home movies and photo albums and then after his uh, death a few years ago his niece Jeannie Bickford in Morro Bay gave me several albums they're just beautiful 8 by 10 glossy black and whites most of them never seen before Hmm. Tim I think we should spend a minute and just remind people who may be like me from the Midwest, we don't spend a lot of time in the ocean. What exactly is abalone? How do you explain it to people? Abalone is a big marine snail, is what it is. And there's about 70 variety of abalone around the world, or seven or eight you'll find on the California coast. Like abalone is found almost everywhere around the world except along the eastern seaboard of the United States. And it's uh, today it's uh, considered quite a delicacy. Um, and today, if you want to get an abalone dinner, at least here in Monterey, you have to mortgage your house for that dinner. <laughs> yeah, very expensive. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. What is Steve? What does it actually taste like? What does abalone taste like? Well, if people are familiar with scallops, I'd say that might be the closest no. flavor, which is very popular. Yeah. So I love scallops. I would enjoy abalone. Uh, I would think so. I mean, it's not for everyone, 
But, you know, my opinion, Morro Bay was built on abalone. It was, you know, they started fishing there in 1928. It was the Pierce family. And I just uh, a couple of days ago returned a, an 11-inch abalone shell to uh, Eddie Pierce, one of the youngsters in that family. There's a photo of his dad in the book, Skinner Pierce. Right. And which was the Pierce that died in the accident? Well, that was Skinner. Okay. Yeah, up up at Big Sur was buried on his tractor. Uh, they found the tractor, but they've never found Skinner. So he's quite a legend in this community. Hmm. All right, let me uh, take a quick break, and we will come back with my guests. We have uh, Tim Thomas and Steve Rebuck with us. The new book is called Abalone Diving on the California Coast, available however you get books. We'll come back and pick up the conversation. You're listening to Hometown Radio. Glad to have you with us on Hometown Radio. Glad to have my guests here as we continue talking about this uh, brand new book called Abalone Diving on the California Coast uh, by Stephen Rebuck, Christopher Rebuck, and Tim Thomas. Steve and Tim join us now. You can get this book however you get books. I'd also throw in with the holidays around be a perfect Christmas gift for someone who's interested in local history, interested in uh, maritime material. Uh, Abalone Diving on the California Coast is the book. So, gentlemen, as we continue, I know there's a lot of history here. Tim, I'd like to come to you, please. We could talk about the Native Americans, and I certainly want to acknowledge them, but I'm particularly interested in the Chinese and the Japanese because judging from your book that seemed to change everything so tim let me start with you the chinese are coming over here in 1849 why well chinese at least the ones that came to monterey uh it was uh, two families or three families started out and they sailed across the north pacific and 30 foot junks uh arriving in monterey uh, uh around 1850 1851 and noticed immediately the abalone that was here in china they were not allowed to get abalone it was uh, considered to be something for royalty they weren't allowed, allowed to have it but here it was free for them to get and that caused a huge sensation and soon chinese were coming from all over large Chinese who had come to work on the railroads, to come to work in the gold field, uh, were coming into Monterey to gather abalone. In fact, one San Francisco newspaper referred to it as the abalone rush to get abalone. Yeah, because I'm quoting, I'm quoting from the book here in China, only royalty and aristocrats were allowed to eat abalone. Correct. So now imagine if you're just uh, Joe Schmo and you find out, hey, over in that country, there's f- mounds of abalone, just ours for the taking. Yeah. That makes exactly. me leave. Uh, Steve, comment, please, on the role of the Chinese in all this. Well, it, you're correct about this. It, it was limited for them in China. When they came here, there was an abundance. The Spanish were here before, but they thought that the abalone were affected like by other shellfish, uh, the paralytic shellfish poisoning that would happen annually. And so people like the Spanish stayed away from them. The Indians had consumed them for thousands of years, but the Chinese recognized immediately what they were and started fishing. Hmm. Uh, and I should point uh, out just before we go away, uh, not just, but to, just briefly on the Native American part of this, 
uh, I mean, the word Abalone itself comes from the native people of Monterey, from the Munson people. I mean, mm. they had a word for the red abalone, which is the largest of the abalones, and the predominant abalone in Monterey Bay, that word was Aulun, A-U-L-U-N, and then linguists have traced that word abalone, all the way back to that word Aulun that starts right here. They literally were the first abalone divers in California by the Rumson people here in Monterey. Yeah, but Tim, whether it was the Native Americans or even the Chinese, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself because we want to talk no. about the equipment at some point, but how, yeah. are, how are they getting the abalone? Because they clearly didn't have the equipment that we had in well, the 1900s. As I mentioned, the Rumson people were diving for it. And we know that because of uh, burials kind of the ground in recent years, uh, the males have what's known as surfer's ear, which is a little bony growth because of the opening of the ear for spending a lot of time in the cold water, like yeah. the Monterey Bay, which makes a lot of sense. And you see now when the size of a hubcap, you're going to dive down there and get it. And that's what they were doing. And they were made, they made a living doing that. They were, Monterey was literally the abalone capital of the world. And then they were, California Indians were coming from all over to Monterey to get abalone or they were trading at abalone, which uh, was found its way all the way across the United States and didn't sites all over across the United States. And Steve, when were they coming down here? They started in Monterey. What did it take to get them down here? Well, they, they did fish at San Simeon. There's yeah. a little bit of evidence around Morro Bay, and then followed by the Japanese. Uh, they they had boats and they had diving equipment that the Chinese did not. Chinese fish from little skiffs with poles, they would knock the abalone loose, and then they had a hook, they would just drag them up from the bottom. Well, then the Japanese come along, I think the date I wrote here is 1895, but in, in the book, Tim, you mentioned heavy diving gear had been invented between 1820 and 1850 and being used in Japan. That early, they had equipment. Well... But it wasn't invented by the Japanese. I believe it was, and Steve can correct me on this because he knows more about this than I do, but I believe it was uh, Germans that created the idea of, of the heavy helmet gear. The Japanese began to experiment with it uh, beginning really in the 1880s and 1890s. Uh, and because uh, the diving was traditional for them, still is actually in Japan, uh, where the traditional white little white cotton outfits, which they initially used here and when they came initially here. Yeah, what, what do you remember? Well, the, the the first manufacturing of equipment actually occurred in Great Britain around eighteen late eighteen fifties, eighteen sixty or so. Took a couple of decades to develop that. You know, perfect that technology, but that's really where the first manufacturing began. But didn't the Japanese introduce the helmet dive? Yes, they did. In uh, California. In yeah. California, yes. All right. So when would that have been, Tim, and how did that change things? It started about nine, a little before, about 1898 is when they began to bring in the helmet gear. Uh, it was just far more efficient for them than the armor divers, and, all, and also the bay was quite cold, <laughs> although it was still cold in the helmet gear as well, but uh, and, but with the helmet gear, they could stay down, uh, and actually, literally, it could be underwater almost the entire day, collecting abalone. Yeah. Yeah, if you would, Tim, cool. describe alma diving. So alma diving, essentially, it's free diving. There's no air source, and so they would work in pairs, uh, usually on a boat, and in the middle of the boat would be a barrel with a fire going constantly, and then one diver would go into the water, he'd have a rope tied around his waist, and he'd go down into the, into the bay, 
and they go down 30, 40, even up to 50 feet into the to the bottom. And some of these guys to hold their breath over four minutes at a time. And that and when they're ready to come to the surface, that rope that's tied around their waist will go through a pulley system that's on the boat. So his partner will take the other end of that rope, which has a big weight tied around it, even just a big rock. They'll toss over the side of the boat. They'll yank that diver right back up to the surface. And he warms, up, warms himself up by the fire while the other diver goes into the water. And they, they would do this back and forth all day. Uh, but once the helmet gear was introduced, it was just, just far more efficient for them. And so eventually that Obama was phased out in Monterey. Yeah. So for particularly the, the Japanese who came over, what kind of life was this for them, Tim? Well, they are coming on contracts uh, when they came here. Uh, it was uh, they, uh, um, they initially were living uh, where there was uh, Point Lobos, if you know it's Point Lobos State Park, which is now the Jewel of California State Parks. Yeah. That's where a guy named Junosuke Kodani, who uh, came uh, in 1897, really created the Avalon industry here. Uh, he, he leased that piece of property, and it looked a lot like Japan, looked a lot like home. And, uh, and so they were living, all lived on the property there. Uh, and they had Japanese bath, Japanese uh, 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 garden, all kinds of things. So it all felt comfortable there. But they're also, Monterey is a very small town, and so, and still is today. And so there's also a community near the Monterey Wharf that was once Iraqi and right now, which was uh, then considered to be what we call a Japan town. A number of Japanese fishermen all live in the civil community uh, 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 off of Adams Street in Monterey today. Hmm. Uh, Steve Rebuck, Tim Thomas on this broadcast. A new book is called Abalone Diving on the California Coast. Available however you get books. Steve, what would you say the impact is of the Japanese coming over here? How did that impact the abalone industry? Well, they they really modernized it with the diving and then canning at uh, Monterey at Point Lobos. I want to mention, too, that alma diving is still being practiced. It's primarily women. In Japan, and the women, yes, huh. yeah, I've met a few of them. They're quite, quite amazing women. And I met a woman uh, a few years ago. She was in her late fifties, still diving, but it's still being practiced. They still have a wild abalone fishery in Japan. They rotate their grounds. It's pretty limited in how much they can harvest. Very controlled, but it's kind of nice to know that after centuries, they're still at it. There's a tradition that is being maintained. Exactly. All right. Um, we are going, and, and uh, Tim, put a quick plug in for your other uh, book, please. Well, I did write a book called uh, uh, The Abalone King of Monterey about Popper and Stolter. He was a German restaurateur that made abalone famous. So Japanese were drawing all the abalone because there was no market for it here. Uh, nobody wanted it. It was like eating a rubber boot, right? So he began, he created a market for it by creating the abalone steak about 1908 in his restaurant here in Monterey and made it very famous. <laughs> all right. We got plenty to talk about. Again, the book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast by uh, Steve Rebuck and Christopher Rebuck and Tim Thomas. Tim and Steve, join me now. We've got California Headline News and ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with time-saver traffic and weather together. And then we'll continue our conversation. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio.
If you're just joining us, we're talking about a very uh, special chapter of uh, California history, about abalone and abalone diving and the people involved in this rich history. Uh, the book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast. Two of the three co-authors join me with uh, uh, Tim Thomas and uh, Steve Reebok. The book is available however you get books. Steve, I want to come back to you to begin this segment because you made an interesting observation during the break. We were chatting, and you noted the rich multicultural history of all this. Oh, yes. Yeah, we started out the book with the Native American people. There's a very interesting uh, photograph in there of uh, some skeletons out at Santa Rosa Island. And in the description from the museum uh, that had this photo, they describe these these uh, skeletons as being seven foot tall, with their the top of their skulls was painted red. Now in the photograph you can see this is an abalone shrine in the background with the skeletons in the foreground. I wasn't sure how Arcadia Publishing was going to take this, but they did accept the photo and, and published it. Was it? Challenging to, to deal with our kids. What was that experience like? Oh, they were Because there's so many of these books. Oh, yes, they are. They're, it's a wonderful company, South Carolina. I'd worked on a couple of their books about Morro Bay a few years ago, which was my introduction to the company. So I approached them, and they said, great, if you've got the photos and you write the captions, we'll publish. So that was part of the attraction is that it's cost-effective. Uh, Tim, I was asking earlier about uh, how the folks, particularly from Japan, were treated when they came over, what kind of life right. they led. But I'm also curious what a typical day might be like for someone doing uh, abalone diving. You kind of lay that out in the book. Sure. So a typical diver would go in the water about 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and he would be down until about noon. Uh, they'd collecting abalone, they send the baskets back up, turn over the basket back down, and then he'd come up at noon for lunch, and then go back down again about one o'clock, and be down to about four o'clock in the, and then he'd come back up for the evening at that point. So kind of like a regular, yeah. regular job. A nine to five job. <laughs> well, exactly. In my, my experience was a little different, because as a teenager, Living in Morro Bay, I was going out in the summer with my dad and fishing abalone and learning the business. What we would do, we'd get up about 5, have a breakfast, get in a truck, drive up to San Simeon where the boats would be parked in the summer, get to San Simeon around 7. And there used to be a U.S. Navy duck up there, which is a big uh, transport vehicle with wheels and propellers. And we'd lo either load that up. And with the groceries and the crew and drive out to the boat. Or at other times, you'd have to row out to the boat, drive it over the San Simeon Pier, load the groceries, get everybody on board, then drive up to the lighthouse at San Simeon. And by the time you got there, it would be 8 o'clock in the morning. So you'd already been going for th at least three hours before you even went to work. Then by about 1, noon, 1 in the afternoon, wind would come up. So you just kind of pull anchor, drive back down to Sim Simeon, reverse the course, and get to Morro Bay and load the abalone around 5. So by then, you've been up for 12 hours, and then get home, have dinner, and go to bed. Question coming in on our text line. I understand that, that the late Mike DeGuermore was very large in the abalone business and diving industry in California. 
That is correct. He was one of the last of the heavy gear divers at Morro Bay, and his son Giovanni took over the business, and he does sell abalone at, at uh, his store in Morro Bay on the waterfront. How much might that cost me? I think in a round number, about $100 a pound. Have radio money. <laughs> they take trade. They take trade. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay, so the book has three authors. We got uh, Steve in the studio. Uh, Tim is joining us from uh, Monterey. I wonder where Chris is. Oh, here he is. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, everyone. I'm, uh, I'm doing really well. I'm calling in from Sausalito, California. Hey, well, congratulations on the book. Uh, talk about your reaction and what you learned in putting this together, because I'm sure a lot of this is new for you. Uh, most definitely. Um, well, it, it's it's kind of part of uh, part of our, our 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 in our blood, I guess, with the family. So it's not that new to me. Um, you know, we used to, Dad used to bring home lobsters, and we used to let them run around on the kitchen floor when we were kids, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I think first of all, just a lot of the um, a lot of the the respect for for the book should go to Steve and Tim that did a lot of the work, and I just kind of stepped in to help with some of the photographs, which was a really fun part of of working with Arcadia. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm 42 years old, and uh, you know we grew up in the Central Coast. I'm a third generation waterman and diver. Um, you know my my interest in in the ocean is kind of more on uh, sailing and, and motor boating and. Um, you know, I've I've had a lot of really fun experiences, and, and um, getting to know the characters that are in these books, um, yeah. the divers, uh, you know, commercial divers. Tim was just describing these guys spending you know eight hours a day on the bottom of the ocean harvesting um, you know urchins and abalone and stuff. And you know, I, I wanted to just throw out there, um, you know, I. These guys are, are really legendary people that just, you know, have nerves of steel, and um, they tell these hilarious stories, and just, they, you know, they went out, and you can imagine on the Pacific Ocean going out in choppy seas with eight-foot swells and working on the, the bottom of the ocean for hours on end, you know, um, these these guys are just larger-than-life figures to me, and they've, they've really all been... Um, Several of them have, have kind of been mentors and just uh, role models for me growing up. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm I'm just really happy to see the book get published. It's a, it's a big uh, effort to take on something like that, a couple, you know, 100 pages plus. So uh, it was really a fun project over the past year that we got to, we got to uh, collaborate on together. It's something special for uh, a son and his father to work on. Comment on that, Steve, working well, with your was, son. It was nice, and Chris has uh, got a lot of experience with uh, computers, and a lot of this is, the scanning the photos in is a critical part of it, getting it right, and I used Peggy down at the Photoshop in San Louis, also Eric Wand here in San Louis, uh, graphics by Eric, helped me a great deal with the book, and I'm very grateful for everybody that helped. Yeah, and Chris, we're grateful for you checking in. Thank you very much for calling, and again, again congratulations on the book. It's uh, Abalone Diving on the California Coast. We continue with Tim Thomas and Steve Rebuck. Tim, if you had a, is, is there one name when you look back on the whole history of the California part of all this? Is there a name that really jumps out? Sure, for me, it's a guy named Roy Hattori. 
Roy I met in 1992. That's when I first got in, started to sort of research this whole story. And Roy was really the last of the Avalonie di- Japanese Avalonie divers at that time. But what makes Roy so unique is that Roy, in the Japanese world, I mean, Roy was a Nisei diver. He was second generation. He was born in Monterey. All the other divers came from Japan, and with a couple exceptions, returned to Japan. But Roy was born here, the only one in all California. And uh, and I spent a lot of time with Roy over the years, and uh, and he and he was just a unique guy. Um, uh, he learned to dive out when he was 18 years old. And I asked him how he learned. He told me that he had just graduated from Monterey High School. It was during the Depression. His dad had a lot of debts to pay. He thought it'd be a good way to make some money, but no experience in that business whatsoever. But he borrowed some equipment, took away in a boat in the middle of the Monterey Harbor, just him up and all that gear, and just bolted on the helmet and just tossed off the side of the boat and said, you start running down there. <laughs> and that's how I learned to be a diver. The rest is history. Steve, is there a name for you? Well, several. Um, I, I had these men that I met when I was a little kid, around seven. We lived in San Diego, and I met a few guys that became top divers at that time. I was seven, they were 17, and I've known them all the way up to the end of their lives now. I'm 76, and these these men are mostly gone, but they're actually, they started some diving companies. One of them was called Oceaneering International down in Houston, Texas, with a spinoff called Oceaneering Space Solutions. And they, Oceaneering right now is designing spacesuits and helmets for the trip to Mars. And this is the the person that's working on that project was Robert Ratcliffe, still uh, with us in Santa Barbara, built a diving Mm -hmm. helmet called the Rat Hat. The Rat Hat. Yeah, a very famous product to use in uh, commercial diving offshore. And uh, he's the primary uh, designer of this new helmet. Well, and follow up on that, Tim. Did I write this down correctly? At one stage with abalone diving, the equipment could weigh up to 150 pounds? Yeah, it can. Really? Yeah. All the weights and the helmet and all that stuff. Yeah. So what, what was required that you needed 150 pounds of equipment to go diving for abalone? Well, it's got to weight you down, so you're going to stay down there on the bottom, right? So uh, I think Steve could speak more about that than I can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. what, what they're doing is they have a compressor on the boat, and they, they're pumping air down to the diver, goes into the helmet, but also fills the canvas and rubber suit. So you're essentially wearing this big balloon, and as it fills with air, then it gets buoyant. And so in the helmet, there's a little valve. You can lean your head against the valve and release excess air because you can start to feel your suit getting buoyant and heading upward. So you let the air out and stay down. There are weights on your back. There's one on your breast, on your on your chest. There's a weight belt, and then there's heavy weighted boots. And you're doing this Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, we used to call it diving for dollars, Dave. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it is that kind of a delicacy if you're willing to go through all that to bring it up. Wow. Yes. Hey, he's right about that, right, Tim? A lot of equipment. Yeah. This is the process. Roy told, told me he used to dive for the family. His mother had a, has had a cannery or abnormal processing plant on the wharf. 
And as he drove for the family, actually they could send his younger brother to college. And then he would work in another practice just to make money so he could go out on dates and things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back for a final segment. With my guests, we have uh, Steve Reebuck here and Tim Thomas. The book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast. A fascinating chapter of uh, California history. A lot of it happened right here. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio. All right, we are in our final segment with our authors. We've got uh, Steve Reebuck in studio, Tim Thomas joining us from uh, Monterey. The book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast. This book is available however you get books. It would make the perfect holiday gift. Here's Stan in Morro Bay on KVEC. Hey, Stan. Hey, how are you doing, Dave? Good, Stan. Thanks. Uh, I was born and raised in Morro Bay. I've lived here most of my life. Uh, I mean, I think of families like the Pierces, the Brebses, the Sylvesters, who did so much for this industry, and and people don't even know about them anymore. It's uh, just fascinating to me, because they, this was like the abalone capital of the world. And, I, and I'd like to mention a couple other people. Uh, Laddie Handelman, who Steve was good friends with, Steve introduced me to years ago. And uh, Al Hansen, who had a lot to do with creating photography underwater. Maybe he could speak on these things. Oh, and I wanted to know if his book is available at the Shell Shop. No, not at the Shell Shop. Cole S. has it. Uh, Peggy at the Photoshop has it. Uh, Barnes & Noble locally. I think most any other bookstore that carries. I see a lot of these at at Miners. Yeah, East Hardware carries them, yes. Oh, okay. But not, but okay, not every Ace Hardware. Hi, Stan. How you doing? You want to comment yeah, on what he was saying? It's a great book, by the way. Yeah, thank you. You want to comment on what Stan's saying about the Forgotten Families? Yeah, and, you know, Stan was one of the first guys I met when I came to Morro Bay in 1955. We were in the third grade together with Miss Negrandi in Morro Bay, so fond <laughs> memories of Stan. But, yeah, the that's interesting. The Brebs family and... Um, the Sylvester's, these are people from the Azores. You know, they're, they're Portuguese. And the, then the Pierces, they were Dutch, uh, not Dutch, but uh, Welch and Salinan Indian. So uh, those are some of the early people that fished Abilene back to the 20s. Anything else, Stan? No, I just, Morro Bay has changed so much. Morro Bay was a working person's town then. Everybody... The people that came home from World War II, everyone was a fisherman, an abalone diver, or they worked for the uh, oil company, practically. And uh, it was a neat place to grow up. There were probably 1,200 people when Steve got here. Yeah. So, yeah. Those were the days. That's, that's uh, came to town, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Stan, thank you. Here's John in Napomo on KVEC. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. Hi, other gentlemen. Hey, uh, this is a very interesting uh, program. Um, You know, I grew up uh, down in Goleta, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, you know, they had piles of abalone shells. These abalone shells were maybe a pile maybe 10 to 15 feet tall and maybe 100 or 200 feet long where they uh, just dumped the shells. I'm wondering, do you have any idea what happened to those shells? Yes, I do. Um, A lot of those shell piles went away 
uh, after the 60s. They, they were common in Morro Bay as well, out at the, where the inn at Morro Bay is now. That, there was a giant shell pile there. There was one on Tascadero Road, and they were quite large. But uh, uh, my dad calculated one year that those shells had sold for more than the, the divers originally got for the whole animal. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And Who also, did they sell them to? Well, another good question. Uh, recently, I found an old shirt in a trash can. I, I was looking at it, and it had abalone buttons on it. So I pulled it out and cut the buttons off, threw them in my treasure box. And, but, yeah, buttons. There was a uh, company in Southern California called Slom, S-A-L-M. Uh, they started to turn the 20th century, and they were producing abalone trinkets that are selling all over the United States, and all the abalone shells coming from Monterey and San Luis Obispo area. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, amazing stuff. I, well, yeah. thanks. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. All right, Thank John. You. Thanks for listening. Again, the book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast, available however you get books. So, Tim Thomas, what happened? How did we go from the heyday to what we have now? <laughs> That's a good question. So, a lot of things happened. I know in the 1980s there were a number of El Nino storms ripping up the kelp beds, particularly in Southern California. Uh, and then uh, abalone was hit with a disease of known as the withering foot disease, so the abalone would just literally shrink in the shell and it couldn't protect itself. And in mid-1990s, California Department of Fish and Wildlife shut the fishery down, so there is no commercial or even sport fish for abalone today. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, Steve. What happened to abalone? Well, if you know, I studied the literature for decades, and it goes back to 1939, the fishing game at the time produced a, a lot of good studies and central to all these studies was the role of the sea otter uh, a lot of people don't want to believe that they took the majority of sea otters but or, or abalone excuse me but in the shells that i have here on your desk dave there the smaller one here is about three inches yes that's the size where sea otters start to consume abalone and they they went away quickly in many areas and it's it's you know the animals do what they do i i have little uh, hard feelings with the animals is more to do with the politics of the animal these days yeah fair enough but then so 1997 did i get this right california closed all the abalone fisheries that's correct that is correct all right and then what happened in 2017 steve well they closed northern california they had different ecological problems in northern california something has happened to the kelp in Northern California, there's a, a variety of reasons and blames for what's taken place. But it's interesting, in the last, uh, going on 20 years now, I still haven't seen any published data confirming what has taken place. But the State uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife Service did, Fish and Wildlife, uh, <laughs> closed the fishery in 2017. What would it take to reopen? Well, we're negotiating that uh, currently. Uh, I had a petition for regulatory change before the Fishing Game Commission two years ago. They denied that petition, but we're still engaged with them on the subject. Yeah. And I did in the in the book, there is a nice chapter in there about the department and the research that they were doing back in the 60s. Again, back, back to Glenn Bickford, he was hired by the department in the late 50s and took a lot of photographs. And so I used those photographs to tell 
the story of, of the fishing game, who learned how to dive, who, who also went to the tide pools and did onshore field work. So quite a lot of really good research. And again, I can't emphasize the photos enough. I, and uh, Tim, I assume that Pop Ernest is that is long gone. The restaurant. Oh yeah, they 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 sold the restaurant in 1952, and it became Cerritos Restaurant, and then it all burned down in 1972. Uh, it's all fascinating. What's next for you on this topic, Steve? Well, like I said, I'm 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 working. I'm trying to work with the Department of Fish and Wildlife Service right now. There there is a lot of recovery of abalone stocks in various parts of the state. Some of them are extremely healthy. The uh, problem there is that the scientists learned to rely on kelp canopy, meaning all that floating kelp that you see floating on the ocean when you drive by. Well, that is not the same ecology we have now, but there are a lot of understory uh, species. The abalone are feeding on those, and they're actually doing quite well. Um, the book is Abalone Diving on the California Coast. Stephen Rebuck, Christopher Rebuck, and Tim, Tim Thomas available however you get books. What's next for you, Tim? Well, right now I am working on a project about Roy Hattori and his discovery of the white abalone in 1939 and how they didn't correctly give him the name, naming of the abalone. It needed to be named after Roy. <laughs> so we're working on that project. <laughs> All right. Uh, gentlemen, congratulations on the book. Thanks for the conversation, Steve. Anything you want to say in closing? Yeah, I think just World War II interfered with the Japanese people and took Roy off the ocean and others. So I'm with Tim on that one. It should be... Uh, Haliota, Sorensini, uh, Hattori. That's right. Tim, what do you want to say in closing? So thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you all go out and buy the book. <laughs> Tim's a man of few words. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> He's a writer. All right. Uh, get this book, really. Uh, uh, Craig, you, you were saying when you came in on the first break, you didn't know any of this stuff either. No. And how I was fascinating it is. curious because I remember my dad used to bring home abalone from time to time. And I never knew the backstory of it. Yeah. And I noticed it kind of just disappeared. It was known for the, on the Central Coast. And now it's, I haven't seen it in years. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, you know the rest of the story. All right, Steve, thank you. Off we go. News, traffic, weather. Let's talk about Kevin McCarthy next. I'm Dave Congleton. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.